Uh, hello and welcome everyone. Uh, we're going to be talking about contrarian investing today to understand what it means and hopefully come away with some actionable uh, things that we can do uh, to take opportunity in uh, in the market and and at, the, at this time. So but first I'm going to get everyone to introduce themselves. Maybe um, Doug, James and then Ryan. Do you want to take it? Um, do you want to go from the top? Sure. Hi everyone. Uh, my name is Doug Ramshaw. I'm the president of Monero Alamos bit of a contrarian and that we like to build gold mines rather than try to find them for other people to build. Uh, we've got one mine operating in Mexico, uh, two new development projects uh, to sequentially build our production profile there in northern Mexico to come on stream over the coming years. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're at. James? Um, hi there, everyone. James Withal, CEO of Rupert Resources. Um, we are the exploration, I guess, explorer developer ultimately in Finland. Uh, made the Ikari discovery in 2020 and uh, progressing that forward, plus continuing to demonstrate what the other exploration upside is there as well. So, um, different stage to, to Doug, but earlier stage, but um, uh, all part of this, the same sector. And Ryan. And uh, I'm Ryan McIntyre, uh, the president of Mavericks Metals, uh, which is a royalty and streaming company. Uh, we've got 148 royalties and streams today, 14 of those currently paying. Uh, this year, we expect revenue north of 50 million US dollars at a 90% gross cash margin and are dual listed on both the Toronto and New York stock exchanges under the symbol MMX. Thanks very much, guys. Um, I'm getting a bit of um, bookshelf envy. Um, Doug, I'm going to start with you. you. You look like you're sitting Jerome Powell's chair at the Federal Reserve right now. Um, <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I'm looking forward to what you've got to say about the market. Um, let, let's, let's try and describe you know, what is contrarian investing for, because it's a sort of trite phrase that's kind of pulled out when markets are good. But in moments like this, people kind of seem to forget the phrase. What, what do you think it is? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, yeah, there are lots of cliches for it. I mean, for me, it's funny when I think about what we do as a company, I, you know, we're also investors, or at least I am in this mining space, but good or bad. Um, a lot of a lot of what I think our shareholders are, are dealing with or shareholders broadly across the sector is I'm, I'm looking at that myself as an investor. So, you know, contrary investing, I mean, we've been in a two year downtrend after a, what a four month gold pool. It was pretty much four. we had four good months post uh, COVID and the market topped two years ago. Um, so it's not just that there's blood on the streets. It's been it's been pretty bloody for two years straight now. It's just been kind of somewhat covert in in this death by a thousand cuts as opposed to the brutality of say march 2020 so but i think a lot of a lot of those experiences can inform us as investors as to what to look for and how to approach maybe committing capital to a sector that seems very beat up right now right and, and james for you um i mean how do you do you you, you invest you were well you, you were a finance guy before um, you invest your own money and just, you know, you, you run your own company now. So you're wearing multiple hats. You, I guess you're sort of torn as to how do you play this market, but are you taking advantage of it in a contrarian style? I think, uh, well, I guess, I guess, yeah, two, a few different hats there ultimately. And I think you know, a bit like don't really, I, I, I guess I'm an investor at heart ultimately. And that's what I did before this. I was a geologist first, but investor as well. And even as a young geologist, you get involved in investing tend, tends to be a few interest in that part of the sector. So I think, 
I don't know, the contrarian side of me, I guess we look to that a lot and it's a lot of cliche around it, but but I, I always look at it slightly differently. The, these these periods that we have, like we're having now, I guess they, they force you to really focus your mind on, on what you're investing in and the quality of what you're investing in and the and reality that the longevity of that investment as well because you know you, you it, it, there's all these different aspects to it when you're when you're looking at allocating the money but but ultimately it, this you know this market's been quite interesting because you've seen some some companies probably rightly so completely you know really driven down hard by the market and i think the market is really differentiating between what's what's worthwhile investing in at this point in the sector and what's worthwhile while holding on to um, and it just, yeah, the whole contrarian side is you have to work a lot harder at this point in the time in the market to spot the things that, you know, you liked them before and they're really good quality. So you should probably do some more work on it to make sure it's still okay. But, you know, ultimately the contrarian investor allocates capital at this point in time to those things that they still really, you know, they've got a sense of trust and uh, uh, this is with the management and the, and the quality of the business. So it's, um, it's kind of a process you go through when you're thinking about this environment or the process we're in. Um, whether there's, there's, yeah, it's quite hard to define it, uh, Matthew, is, is what it is. Well, it, well, it is. More of a it's, it's, even, it's even harder because, you know, good companies and bad companies alike have been hit. Mm. You know, they are, I, I want to use the phrase, you know, discounted. Well, the good ones are discounted and the not so good ones have kind of perhaps come back to, to reality somewhat. Um, and and we'll, we'll come on to some of the points that you raised there in a second, but I want to get Ryan into the conversation before we kind of open this, this up and, and rather run it as a panel session, just have a, a conversation seeing some guys who've maybe been around the block a little bit. Um, so Ryan, for you, are you the only guy in the room who doesn't really mind if there's a slight downturn in the equities market because you've got a long-term horizon? Yeah, I think, you know, at Mavericks, we definitely have a long-term horizon, you know, in the sense that we're purchasing royalties that will hopefully be generational and that we'll never sell. And so from that standpoint, uh, we're more than happy to kind of fill the role of providing capital during downturns. In fact, it's probably one of the busiest times for us. Just the cyclicality of the space actually lends itself to our business model quite well in the sense of there tend to be a lot more things to buy on the royalty side in downturns and conversely, fewer things to buy when times are really good but we're also generating more cash flow that we build up during those times to basically buy things at times like today. Uh, so I think we're set up pretty well. And I guess just for my own personal sense, I mean, my whole psychology is probably in that contrarian or value mode, uh, just generally speaking. And to me, that means doing things or looking at things on the investing side that other people aren't looking at. Because uh, usually when you've got a big crowd following one thing, psychologically, it's easy to follow that. But financially, it usually doesn't end up as well as, as that. So it's usually the tough times that are the better financial uh, times to invest. Well, actually, so sticking with you, Ryan, I mean, isn't this time to make hay? Uh, uh, because there's a lot of companies that are cash constrained at the moment. You know, the, the equities market isn't necessarily open for everyone. Um, the cost of money is certainly um, something that they'll be, they'll be looking at. And obviously, dilution when their share prices are depressed like it is. Is it, a, is it a better time for you guys? Is this where you do most of your business? That's where we do a fair bit of it, I must say. And I think we do a lot of a lot more quantity and probably better pricing as well. So you get both usually at the same time in, in markets like this, which is which is great for us. And, you know, I think, you know, especially companies like, you know, James's and, and Doug's, I mean, you know, 
it's time for them to make hay as well in the sense of setting themselves up and separating themselves from the lesser companies in this space. Because, you know, as an investor, you know, you, you can now look at a bunch of different companies that are really high quality, like James and Doug's, and you can actually say, wow, these are really good people, they have great projects or assets. You know, now's the time to do it because people are discounting that as much as something that is poor quality anyway. So it's the perfect time to go around shopping. Well, well, it is, and I think that's where we want to get to in this conversation for investors. But the, the, the problem is this, and I, I said it with with James: is like all companies have been, um, you know, hurt. They had their their the cut off at the knees somewhat. Um, stocks are down, you know, 25, 30, 40. We've seen 70 percent um, off the share price. So given that everyone's behaving the same way. What are the red flags that you would look to, um, Doug? Well, I mean, as an investor, yeah, I mean, we're definitely, I, I think it, it's nice to look at the sector now and realize it's not a crowded trade. Um, and that's a good thing. Um, you know, we saw it briefly in the summer of 2020 where money piled in and we had a rising tide lifts all boats. But leading into COVID, I mean, it was, we actually had a tough market and most of the capital was going to 10, 15% of the companies. And it was a struggle for those others. Um, in reality, when I'm looking at anything right now, uh, I'm looking at, do they need to finance? Because what might seem like a great opportunity to buy in, um, the dilution impact of, of equity that's required to actually see their projects through over whatever the market's gonna be like over the next couple of, couple of years is, is to me is a key consideration. And the great thing is nowadays, as opposed to 20 years ago, investors have the opportunity of really understanding the financial state of the company. I, you know, I think back to that 1990, discovery cycle we got our quotes looking at the paper the next day we got our financial statements mailed to us now you can with cedar and cedi you know the tools are all there for investors to really have a much better understanding of the financial health of a company and that should be an absolute key consideration uh when looking at this kind of waste ground of companies where there's real value to surface you know, you know, focusing on some of the better companies because they have all got drawn down to various degrees um, is understanding that what might seem like a goodbye today, are you going to feel diluted three months, six months from now um, uh, because because of the financial requirements of, of companies in this in this space. So I I know every investment I'm making right now. Uh, I am looking, is the company financed? Um, because I don't want to be guessing where that funding uh, is going to be, especially when we're about to go into or already in tax loss selling season, right? Which is just going to put further pressure as we all kind of clean up our portfolios to see what's left, what we want to continue to back uh, moving forward. It's just going to add further pressure on on uh, on these companies. Okay, so that's that's timing of money and, and, and cost of money for you. You, you. you don't want to take that hit. Um, and we'll come back to tax loss season as well, because I want to talk about where, where, the, where the bottom of this is. But um, James, if I look at um, your, your company and the way that you've gone about it, it's a systematic process. You know, I think you, you've also got the benefit of having your kind of ex, you know, fund manager hat on. How does a company like yours need to play this? Because you've made a discovery do you get focused and just focus in on that because that's what 
you know, where the success is, or can you go out and spend, allocate your capital for new discoveries, you know, new acquisitions, or however you intend to play it? Because you've got to send the right signal that to market. Yeah, no, it's the issue. I mean, reality is we we started this company in a really bad market. Uh, um, in 2016, 2017, and we raised money through that downturn. Um, and really what that comes down to, people need to look as, has that company been able to raise money and what's their shareholder register like, um, really in terms of the support that that company has had through good times and bad, especially in our space where we are an explorer, so we're totally dependent on uh, on external funding right now still, and we're not, we're not producing cash flow. Um, um, so you, you have to sort of look at this company's track record and the people involved in it and have those, has there been a massive turnover in the shares? Because if if those people supported that company previously, they're most likely to hopefully be able to support that company going forward if they, they have that uh, ability. That's that's absolutely key. But in terms of what do we do now, I mean, we, we're in a fortunate position that we, we raised a significant amount of cash to make sure that, you know, we had a, a long runway. Um, and that that gives you flexibility and different options. You know, we we are continuing to explore because obviously we still see that as one of the most important ways to generate value. And I think I think what frustrated me as a fund manager in some ways is the fact that you you can't be an exploration company and sit around not spending money. That's like don't bother investing. That's just total waste of time. Otherwise, if they if they if the day they stop exploring or say they're hunkering down and not going to sell money. Then there's no catalyst for them to generate any value, no way to be able to, to to possibly get people to put money into the company, really, because there's nothing new. Uh, um, you know, the value has been defined by what you've already discovered. So you have to be, it's as ever with all these things, you need to follow the companies. I think those were absolutely clear. You need to follow people's financials over a period of time. Don't just look at the last quarter. Look at like them over the last couple of years and see what the trend is like and have they been allocating capital well in that time and you, can, you know exploration companies are just allocating capital so if they've been getting results from the allocation of their capital or has something you know something you know, has there been some you know volatility in that and big changes big changes in the people those kind of things it is it, it's it, it you know you we have the flexibility right now probably to tone down the expiration if the if the market gets really tough to extend the runway of the funds um, we're in that fortunate position, but also we we've already made the discovery. We've got four million ounces under a belt. It's not as though we're you know that has a specific value. We're about to put the PEA out, and that will put a value on it and a potential on it. Uh, and so that puts us in a very different position to some of our peers, where you know it gives us options to be able to raise money. And you just you know you're not going to just go out and raise. Just because you thought, oh, next year I had a planned budget of X for the year, you know, you know, it's just if the share price has changed significantly at that period, you don't just carry on with that plan. You've got to change your plan and adapt it. You might raise a smaller amount of money now. You might go and have a chat to people like <laughs> people like Ryan on the on the royalty side and see what options there are there. And just about managing it, you know, it's all about managing the risk. All the way yeah, that's a great that's a great point actually you, you raised because. Um, Obviously, Ryan, you offer non-dilutive capital for companies to do what they want to. They want to do. Are you seeing pressure from other kind of um, 
cash sources that companies are looking to because in desperate times desperate people do desperate things you know they'll look at all sorts of you know death spiral type structures but where do you see the competition coming from for you yeah so i think the competition today is certainly less from equity so usually that tends to crowd crowd us out during i would say good times in the space uh so it's definitely stuff that's i would say off off market in a way sort of you know these debt debt structures that are sort of covenant like type things but are high high cost i would say those types of things are kind of coming in to fill some of the roles of maybe previous capital providers uh, but i would say royalties are certainly playing a bigger role now than they have that they were a year ago certainly in conversations and it, you know just going on to james's point you know i think it is very important uh, to focus really on the people and the plan right and i think you know i think it's completely obvious that you know sometimes it'll be good better than you expect sometimes it'll be worse than you expect for no fault of anybody per se but to me it's management's ability to adapt to that and to carry on a good plan in both good times and in bad times that really makes the, the huge difference because uh, i could see some people starting out with a bad business but if they take the capital from that bad business put into a good business that that is huge value add and to me it's things like that that it's all about the people in that stage and so i think you know people managing budgets now and basically you know allocating their resources in a more systematic targeted fashion that's going to basically get the most value for the buck today uh is, is critical and you know i think to james's point you know it's not such a great idea to hunker down if you have to i guess you sort of have to if there isn't capital but you know to me this is a time where where you can actually target and differentiate yourself a little bit from others if you are moving things forward even if it's in a slower way uh in a more targeted and slower way is better than not moving at all i would say right okay and, and, and i just want to say to you guys i mean feel free to ask each other questions or build on each other's um comments because the people here to listen to you definitely not here to listen to me um, but, um before we do doug and obviously katrina investing requires a bit of patience um if we look at the last two to a chart for the last two years for most gold and precious metal companies it's a ski run downhill it, it seems so um what's been happening what's going to give soon because gold bears are blaming everything and anything it's the fed it's the interest rates it's the dollars it's shorters it's inflation it's it's no one quite has an answer do you well i'm certainly not going to use those answers uh you know i i mean i i think I think what's it's interesting you mentioned patience because I think one of the hardest assets uh, for companies to come by, and it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of execution and doing things like James said, is if you're going to raise money, use it to build value and build that track record. Well, it's really tough to find the very patience that is required, whether it's it's drilling out a huge deposit like Rupert's had or building out a sequence of mines like Monera has. Um, there's always gonna be turnover, but uh, I think fortunately, if you can set yourself apart from uh, the large swath of companies, and we have way too many in this sector, and I've said that before, and I'm not gonna repeat myself, but, um, I can, I can see why in the junior expiration end, when everyone is trying to get that next marginal buyer in the stock, the, the impatience there amongst shareholders is, is tough. But it, in terms of this, in this sector, I mean, uh, there are a lot of, we, we actually saw incredible discipline in coming out of, of the last gold bear market where companies were forced 
to rationalize operations, rationalize costs. And, and they bolstered their balance sheets. And, and we had a heck of a market in 2019-20 as gold tailwinds were there for gold even before COVID. And we saw GDX and, and GDXJ you know, up there in September 2020 as margins absolutely expanded amongst the producers. And the biggest problem I think facing the sector right now is uh, at the high end, and let's face it, you know, contrarian investors or generalists looking at this space, they're going to look at the performance of the GDX, GDX or GDXJ. I don't like those ETFs, but I mean, they're bellwethers of sector health. And, and we've seen, um, you know, we've seen those suffer a death by a thousand cuts for two years straight now as margins have, have, have uh, contracted consistently. And now we're seeing inflationary pressures both on CapEx which is impacting a lot of developers um, and and opcast. When you're looking at Newmont year on year was a 16% increase in ASIC, it's all that's doing is is limiting um, their financial performance. And and I I think from a contrarian investor perspective, one has to look. My my habit as an investor is I'm not trying to catch a bottom. I'm not trying to catch a top. I've done very, very well playing the 60% between. So I guess if we look at what the last two years has done, has it got us into that territory where we're in, we're in the bottom of, in, edging into that 20% bottom of the market where there's an opportunity, whether you're, you tranche in all in one go or just tranche in, which I think would be a more appropriate way of, of doing it and and play the 60 percent rebound at some point it's going to probably come um in the better names for sure uh so but until the us dollar uh which if you'd ask me coming out of covid with the huge debt burden in this in the states like so many other countries the this the strength of the us dollar is absolutely inhibiting gold's <laughs> progress um uh but are we close to a top in that so again can you align are we close to getting into that lower 20 percent of equity value and are we in the next six seven months are we close to a topping out of the us dollar and certainly there are forecasts that would suggest that then maybe there's a perfect storm um and maybe this is the time whereas contrarians which i think if you're looking at the gold space you have to consider yourself a contrarian right now um you know, is this a window where you're not looking for an immediate bounce, but you're you're trying to play something that should bounce over the next 12 months if these things coalesce to create a bit of a perfect storm um, that can drive equity values upwards after two years of of uh, downturn. Well, James, can you put your phone on. Yeah, right? look, I think it's it, 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 it's. Um... I think this the position where we're at, I, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people on this chat that have been looking at the gold price for, for tens and tens of years, but when you look at the previous gold rallies, you know, if you're in the UK right now or in, even in Europe and Finland, you were pretty happy with the gold price in our local currency. And if you look at previous bull markets and the US dollar price for gold, it, it, it tends to rally first in, in other currencies, temporarily because you have the strong US dollar ultimately, if you see what I mean, but we are. We, 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 I'd say in the UK, we're still in a bull market for gold right now because the, ultimately it's a, it's a currency. So, I mean, you'd be very happy if you're a UK fund manager that allocated sterling to gold. 
uh, selling assets into gold in the last in throughout this last few years, even though you're suffering a bear, you know, we talk about the gold price being down in US dollars, but you got to look at the perspective of it. So I think and if you go back to the great, you know, the big, so 2002, 2003, before the gold price really rallied, then um, you had quite a strong rally in non-US dollar in, in, in the gold price, quite a long way before it really picked up in US dollars at that point in time. So I think you have to be careful on the perspective of what you're looking at in. Uh, um, and um, you know, the, the Aussie dollar gold price obviously been very strong for quite some time now. It's a little bit weakness, but I think again, um, it, it's um, we do tend to get very caught up with the US dollar gold price ultimately um, in the sector. Too much um, so, I would agree. I think, um, but it is a bellwether, yeah. right, James? Just like you know, I, mean, yeah, you like, I guess it, the point I was trying to make that I think from a sentiment perspective, yeah. a sentiment shift. You know, yeah. just like the GDX uh, or the GDXJ kind of are these, you know, for generous investors, they're going to look at the health of those markets. You know, for the same reason, I think yeah. people look from a sentimental perspective at US dollar gold. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I mean, look. No, I, um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's going to be interesting. I think it's, um, and I think your point, the other point you made is the fact that the, the stocks, the space is so underowned. You know, it's uh, these days, and and people even you would say that you know there's been a sellout for gold of gold to some extent. ETF volumes have come down quite significantly. So, you know, we know that it doesn't take a lot of money. You know, think of uh, and the, and the thing that's changed in the last twenty years is how much money there is around looking for a space to invest in. I mean, it, it, it's it's it, it's a whole quantum change in the last twenty years. So, um, if only a small part of that. Those assets start looking for a looking to invest in the gold sector, be it in physical and the equities. I mean, the the chances of a you know step change in the performance of the equities is it, it, you might unfortunately you know you, you might not get much selectivity in that. Obviously, they'll pile into the GDX GDXJ for a start, so you, it, it, it's handy if you're in that um, as, as, a, as a company for sure. But I think they'll also look for other quality investments to go into. Mm -hmm. Ryan, have you got a thought on that? Yeah. I was going to say, I think patience is critical. I think mm. Doug mentioned that at the beginning. And, you know, to me, when I look at, you know, the space of where gold is now, I look at one big thematic in the world that I would say has captured a bit of the crypto attention. It's more of that disconnection from governments, right? I think people actually do want to be a little more disconnected because, frankly, I think people have a little more distrust for them now than they did 10 years ago or 20 years Three ago. Three years ago. Right? Exactly. Right. I mean, look what happened to, you know, the prime minister of the United Kingdom. Right. I mean, the trust factor is very low. And to me, you know, I think gold is the ultimate investment if you don't have any trust in your governments. And I think a lot of people would say they don't. And then, frankly, there's probably good reason for them not to just given, you know, frankly, there's been a ton of debt issued over the past decade. And, you know, when you look at the past kind of crises, you know, it's always been managed by the government by basically giving out uh, money, right? They're printing money to kind of cover up some of the issues. So pretty easy to bail out corporates if you're the government. The one thing that I do fear that I think could become a thematic, which I think the UK became sort of a test case for, you know, a very small extent, is the idea that sovereigns might become more unstable in the markets, right? So they're, they're walking this fine line now having a lot of debt with interest rates going up. And the idea of papering over the problem, I think is gonna be much more difficult to the extent that we have a bigger problem. And so to me, 
I guess when I look at gold, I think of it in two ways. It's a proactive investment in a sense, because I think people want to gravitate a little bit more towards things that are independent of the government, but I also think it's a defensive position as well, just to the extent that, you know, I think it's always been a very good insurance policy against, you know, negative events. So it kind of acts in two different ways in today's scenario. Which is well, it, it, someone put this to me the, the other day, which was about the sort of now how to sound like an old man. The younger generation um, don't have the, um, the the history with gold. They don't have the, the same love for gold because they are distracted with technology and crypto and lots of other things which are based on the reality of their everyday rather than a protection for you know, what may come come in the future in, in terms of investing or, or, or otherwise um, with all this conversation around fit. So do you think that disconnect with the, the next generations is going to cause gold a problem or is gold just bigger than that and it will smash its way through um, any of those roadblocks? I mean, to me, it's an untapped market, right? Because I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the format that people have previously viewed gold and it's either sort of on a physical basis or maybe they're dabbling in the equities. But to me, if you can get some sort of blend of, you know, electronic gold in some fashion or form, which is pretty, pretty straightforward now. Uh, but, you know, to me, one of the early signs that we've seen is we've actually had a few crypto investors actually gravitating towards gold. So we've seen it actually in some of our interactions, either by email or some actual meetings where you actually are getting a bit of younger generation taking a look at gold after transitioning out of crypto. I think it's very rare still, but I think some of them are starting to make that connection. So do you understand the concept of, concept of gold or do you think there's more work um, to be done there? I think there's a lot more work to be done there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, there was, a, there, was, it would be, it, there was quite a lot of progress on that. Oh gosh, seven or eight years ago. And sort of, and now you can buy digital, you know, is a digital way of buy, buying gold or owning gold in a, in, in in process um, with some of the mints around the place. So there's a lot more. I think uh, the the gold money vehicle that was brought in that um, you know looked at monetizing that, and um, you know you can actually have a debit card with, that you effectively use against your gold account with them. So there are definitely ways to it. It just hasn't it hasn't evolved. Obviously, with the arrival of crypto, that surpassed it all anyway. So, um, but it, it could be a it could well be developed and it could well become more popular as, a, as the physical asset I'm talking about in terms of the gold that's already above the ground. Do, do you think, do you think gold, um, it's like the, the battery metals, people understand the, the need, people are very excited about EV, EV revolution and they're excited about infrastructure builds across mm. the world, you know, benefiting, you know, the broad suite of battery metals as, as they're labeled. Gold doesn't have that utility. It relies on a different set of uh, right. narratives and, and messaging. I know there's some in electronics, but not not major, right? So do you think gold is sort of taking the back seat and, and that the, the battery metals are, you know, maybe taking some cash away from, from investments like yours? I mean, Doug, what do you think? Well, hang, I was reading something a couple of weeks ago that, you know, there was going to be more of an ESG pushback against gold exactly because of that. Like we, you know, there's damage to the environment in terms of holes in the ground and everything. For what purpose? At least with copper, you could say, well, it's going to drive the, the EV re revolution. It's going to help societal, technological, and, and likely climate change as a, as a result of that. So those holes maybe are a little bit more justified. Um, so you can, you know, it was, it was interesting reading that article a couple of weeks ago in that regard. I, I think, honestly, the greatest 
former flattery gold has had in recent years was when early Bitcoin adopters approached gold with, you know, this this whole drop gold campaign. You know, their attack on fear, you know, was vulnerable to the fact that, but hang on, gold's always been there. And I think it was it was it was flattering in many ways that they they viewed gold as something that almost needed to be slain first before they 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 approached fear at large. So I mean, the reality is gold has history, remarkable history. And you see that very history as part of cultures still to this day that, that make it a huge part of their, uh, their lives in, in, in investing and buying in gold. Uh, India, obviously a classic example. So um, the problem for our gold sector is, I think a lot of investors in it, um, uh, reflect gold's antiqueness in that uh, you go to typical conferences and there's a lot of, you know, bold, old guys uh, watching this stuff. And I think it is it, it, it is a problem with this space. I actually hope that battery metals, copper, we saw it with lithium, uh, you know, uh, five, six years ago, the early lithium companies, I thought they were run by young people, dynamic, that understood these new markets. All, old 60, 70 year old geos would go, lithium, it's everywhere. You know, they saw an opportunity, they created value. And I thought it was fantastic because you you saw younger investors that more reflected those younger CEOs coming into the space, making money in, in early lithium and thinking, hopefully looking, going, what else is there in mining that we can make money on? So I think battery metals and copper um, uh, at large, hopefully are the very, uh, conjurer for bringing a younger demographic of investor into, into the commodity space. And hopefully from that, some of them actually do understand gold's history. And whilst it might not have the utility, there's, there's great value. I mean, up until, you know, three or four months ago, you'd argue that gold was doing precisely what it needed to do this year. As, as Ukraine happened, yeah. the bond market collapsed as, as all manner of you know crypto collapse, gold actually was holding its own. It was doing precisely why you have some exposure to it. You shouldn't be like me and have way too much exposure to it, but there's there's a place for some modest exposure to gold in everyone's portfolio. Right, and, and, I, and I think that, yeah. I think there's a few questions that have been sent in, which I, I want to sort of tip my hat to, and then James, you, you referenced 2000 and 2003. Are there any other kind of um, moments? I think um, James on, on in the question section is talking about 2008, uh, where we experienced a, a, a similar feel to what we're going through at the moment. I mean, well, do you agree with that, first of all, James? I don't think it feels like 2008, really. I think there's quite a lot of different dynamics going on now. I mean, certainly in the, in the rates environment, I think, I think the, you know, I guess the, I guess what it probably maybe just that, but what are the potential headwinds for it as a commodity? I guess you've, you've got a situation where, you know, if, if inflation does come back, you know, if they do get it under control and rates stay high, you know, we're definitely not at a positive real rate scenario now with the way inflation is running. But I guess there is that there is that fear that you could be in a positive real rates environment and that would be quite a turn off to go for sure. And I think, you, you know, that would be a, a, as an asset allocation. Uh, um, decision that would make it quite hard for people to allocate to gold um, right now, or allocate more to the to gold effectively, or keep it in the portfolio. There'd be other things, you know. but then 
if you step back and the chance of that happening in the short term aren't particularly high um i don't think um it's quite hard to see that environment especially as, as ryan pointed out just with the huge amounts of debt that are out there these days i think so the, there's been a seismic shift in in, in, in government debt hasn't been since 2008. That's the diff That's why I don't think you can compare the two environments. 2008 was the catalyst for a lot of this money printing. Right. Now we're in an environment where it has been printed, it exists, all that QE was done. Um, inflation ultimately is, you know, if you're a government, you kind of want to do some inflation to kind of inflate away some of that, that debt anyway. I mean, that, there, there are positives to this, uh, that high inflation environment. Um, Unfortunately, it's pushing interest rates up, which is putting the cost of it up there. Um, so, sorry, drifting off tack probably a bit, but I, I, I don't think I think it's quite hard to compare the two um, right now. I right, think okay. the circumstances are very different, uh, but I think I, but I, just like in two thousand eight, having an allocation to gold and sticking through the crisis with that allocation to gold, um, and even having the being prepared to put your toe in the water and add a bit more to your allocation with a really stressed time really paid off in 2009 and 2010. I mean, it's just transformational. It, 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 that, as a, it's a small sector, but it really outperformed. So I guess there's, yeah, if there's an opportunity that, that yeah, it, I've got a, I've got a chart here from J.P. Morgan, which talks about the, is it is a twenty year annualized uh, returns by asset class, right? And it's from ninety eight through to two thousand eight, so it doesn't qu not quite up to date, but you, you kind of get the gist yeah. in terms of this contrarian conversation, right? Where it, it puts obviously inflation over that period two point two percent, average investor return one point nine, okay, gold seven point seven percent, right? So and there's lots of other asset classes in there. I think REITs do seem to do so exceptionally well. Nearly ten percent, but it, it puts that down to people flipping and flopping, like you know, diving out of um, investment classes when when the markets are bad and putting them into um, other markets where things are doing slightly better, like 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 tech. Oh, tech's doing well. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to dump my mining stock. I'm going to dump my whatever stock, and that kind of flipping and flopping from one thing to the next has meant that they have they've underperformed according to JP yeah. JP Morgan, and that's. And they talk about fund managers as well as regular investors making the same mistakes. So, if, you know, in terms of an advocacy for contrarian investing, it that that, that may help people uh, somewhat. Um, what, what, what do you think, Ryan? Is it, does that surprise you? Any of those numbers? Uh, no, not at all. Actually, um, I think we talked about. I think the key is sometimes just sitting there and not doing anything, right? So, if you're an owner something that's done very poorly. The key is to stick around as long as you believe it. I mean, if, if something has changed, then maybe it should change out. But I think fundamentally, I think people try to be overactive, generally speaking, and they reach for things at times when they're good, they probably shouldn't and vice versa, they probably don't, you know, they might sell out just to avoid the psychological pain of holding something that's gone down. But again, to me, what separates the great investors is sort of having your conviction whether it's with the people or the project in our space or just the commodity itself of gold, uh, to me, the key is just sitting there and just maybe adding more at times are low and maybe trim a off a little bit when times are really good if you need the money or what have you. But, you know, I think just going back to, I guess, the previous question about timing and what does this feel like, you've seen a couple of interesting things in this space and that you've actually seen a few bankruptcies. Um, some of them were self-inflicted, but I would say. But the one interesting thing is you're not seeing any capital come in to rescue them before, whereas it would have said, 
in more normal times, there would have been some level of capital to come in and, well, maybe take them out of a horrible price, nonetheless not force them into bankruptcy, which is what you're starting to see now. So I think to me, as a contrarian person in general, I think that's a great thing to first first line of thing to see. I mean, when you don't see that come in, probably a good time to start taking a look at the space. It's, it's, it's interesting. That, that, that's a great point, actually, Ryan, you make. Um, Doug, should we talk about bottoms? <laughs> how, you, how you how you spot bottoms? Um, how you trim? How you average down? How you average up? Um, as a contrarian, you you, you you said at the outset, you, in, a, in a meaningful way, you want to kind of play in that sixty percent zone and not worry about trying to predict when the market has bottomed. We've got tax loss season coming out, so I, I, I've seen in Canada, so I suspect there's a little bit more pain to be had. So for people sitting in the sidelines, how do you suggest they play this? Definitely, uh, definitely tranche in. Absolutely, um, you know it. It's this is not the time to uh, to just go in on one. You know, go in on a particular name. A, don't spread your capital too thinly around. You know, it's. I think there's enough of a, a runway ahead of us to, in terms of this bottoming phase, where one shouldn't be rushed. One should start looking at the history of the company, as James said, whether whether it's it's how they've executed, how they've spent their money, you know, uh, does the business plan make sense now like it did uh, a couple of years ago? Um, and, then, and then think about the companies, the ones that are gonna bounce first and actually be conviction bounces. Um, uh, it, it's the same types of companies that were actually performing well before Goldrap. Um, those are the ones that I think you you want to be buying stuff where uh, you don't have to check the stock price every given day, every given week, every given month. Honestly, I, I've tried to create a culture in, in, amongst our shareholder base of just set it and forget it. Believe in the believe in the business plan. Believe in the team's ability to execute on that business plan. Um, you know, if you want. Expiration, that's the kind of stuff where bad drill holes can come up on early stage, which can offer un unbelievable returns when they work. Rupert's a great example. Great Bear I was involved with was a great example. But there are so many that don't. And and then you have to constantly be worried about waking up to a 50 60% decline on a bad drill hole. Um, so think about companies where you can kind of set it, forget it. Think about this as a bottoming phase in the sector. You know, if you're starting the process of, of investing in one of those companies, tranche in. Um, a good example yesterday on something completely unrelated to their operations, a company like Caliber that fell, it just had two brutal days off the back of uh, US sanctions against Nicaragua. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it had had a, you know, close to 50% haircut in in a matter of a couple of days there was so much uncertainty out there probably i said to a friend of mine it's like you know yeah it's probably a good buy but charge in because it could get worse before it gets better again um so i you know tranching is really important taking advantage of a tax loss selling season which is it's easy to look at a company and go well i'm not going to be a victim of a tax loss sell because i'm only off 15 percent this year you know, there are companies off 70% this year. Um, tax loss is a tax loss. 
I, you know, I know that from my perspective, I'm going to be, you know, further ordering my, my portfolio this year. And I don't really care if it's just a modest tax. I'm not trying to just create the worst tax losses. And I'm not looking to create a tax loss to buy back into a company uh, 30 days later either. Typically, when I, when I sell, it's because it's like that one has not worked out for me. And I'm going to be looking and, and thinking, where do I want to concentrate my investments to take advantage of whatever might be coming in terms of about. So, um, you know, I think tax loss selling season is probably every year. It's like Christmas decorations in Costco. They're, they're, they're every month. It's every year. They seem to be out there a month earlier. Now you get and I think tax loss selling season is exactly the same. Um, it's, it's just become uh, an earlier process. So that creates opportunities as well. So long as you have that long term patient thesis um, with your stock selection. Right. And, and uh, James, I want to talk about because um, you've been quite good at kind of giving us moments in time that we could we could look to and maybe learn from. But for, for people who are perhaps not brave enough to be contrarian in their investing, perhaps they want to well, maybe late stage contrarian, we'll call it. Um, what are these? What are the kind of breakout signs that they could look to? And that's that's actually a question from Douglas in the chat room. So good question. Yeah. Okay. No, it's a good question. The breakout signs. Um, yeah. I guess if we um, look at, I, I think that right now there's everyone. You're going into the quarterly reporting season. Um, I think everyone's report. What going to be worrying about um, people's cost profiles and what's the inflation been in the last. Quarter, I guess. Um, it, it, I think if we start to see a, a tempering in that inflation, I think in the costs, and people think actually the gold price at sixteen fifty is pretty good, and these guys are making decent amounts of money. That could be, uh, you know, goes back to this point of looking at the balance sheets and looking at the, the accounts. Actually, think well, actually these guys now they're trading fundamentally cheap, uh, as in as in the, just on a, on a cash flow basis or price earnings basis. You think actually okay, I can get comfortable with that. But if you start to see you know, and then if those those earning if those numbers look look a bit crazily low uh, um, compared to other parts of the sector, that for me is always like an indicator that you should probably start thinking. I mean, yeah, be careful that you're not buying something that's crazy low for a reason. But but ultimately, if if it's been a good business, and then it's like it's very mispriced compared to where it's been before. It's either implying obviously the gold price is going to fall a lot further, but at the same time, I think um, yeah, you have to get if if you're comfortable if you can get comfortable with the gold price. Um, just keep an eye on those and see whether on the back of some of these results, or if you look at the pattern of the results, it starts to, starts to level out a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know, other, other catalysts, I guess, um, yeah, put me on the spot there a bit, Matthew. Well, okay, well, maybe, maybe Ryan that. can help you out. He's a good macro analyst. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think there's a you know, macro perspective. I think you have to figure that we're pretty near, near the most pessimism we can have on inflation, yeah. I would suggest, right? Yeah. So the idea that central bankers probably are going to go, they're either going to keep it at, you know, the high interest rate, you know, increase is pretty high, or they're going to start tailing the back. That's my feel is the baseline is already at the high level. So my feel is that it's probably going to be upside to the extent that they become a little bit more moderated, which would help the gold price and therefore would help the equities a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and the one thing I've been looking at recently was just the actual based in the United States, but looking at the U.S. money supply, because uh, typically as a central banker, uh, it's one of the key things they should be watching, because one of the things you do not want as a central banker is a shrinking money supply. 
right? Because then it has negative reverberations and effects uh, in other things, the lending the most particular, and then basically just would lead to a huge slowdown in business. You've rarely had times that it's gone negative in terms of growth. And it's actually recently that it's really started to flatline or go a little negative, which is pretty rare actually, depending on which metric of money supply you use. And to me, that's a bit of a interesting point because I'm sure that has not gone unnoticed from the central bank level. And it would be shocking if they kept on accelerating. I would say that would lead to huge pain uh, for the economy, which would lead you to want to probably own gold. And then conversely, if they go the other way, the same situation, you know, they decelerate a little bit, it would probably make you want to own gold even more. So the first one would be for protection, and the second one would be for more of a proactive approach uh, to how the central banks are going to go. But I guess that's sort of the leading thing I'm looking at is where's the money supply and where's that going? Right. It's interesting. Guys, I'm just so kind of conscious of the time here, and I just want to say this. 2020 was the birth of multiple geniuses, investing geniuses were born in 2020. Um, today, not so much. I think that people have realized that perhaps it wasn't their genius, it was good timing. Um, lots of people in, in that camp. And I think what uh, investors are looking to, um, eat are words of comfort, you know, from experienced people like yourselves, you know, I think today's conversation has been brilliant in terms of referencing what's gone on in the past, maybe some lessons, maybe uh, about what we can learn from the past and maybe the ways that we can approach our investing today. Contrarian investing is not for everyone. Um, you can make a ton of money if, if you do your homework uh, and, and pick the right horse. Um, so I appreciate your time um, sharing your thoughts, views, experiences today. And I'm going to let you all go out. This, this is the this is the quid pro quo for me, which is for sharing your time with us, is maybe you can spend uh, a couple of minutes on why people should be perhaps considering your company as one of those contrarian bets. Doug, do you want to take it? Sure. Uh, and thanks, Matt and James and Ryan. It's been a pleasure uh, this morning and hopefully uh, uh, informative for the audience. Um, I think it's funny. I, I've been giving a presentation on Monero um, called Building low capex mines in an inflationary environment since inflation was transitory. Um, you know, it was always a smart business model, building mines cheaply, getting them up and running, and then uh, and then funding the exploration, funding the growth out of cash flow, rather than that, that hamster wheel of constant trips to the equity market. As a result, we've barely gone to the equity market in the last couple of years. Um, and, and really, with this inflationary environment now, uh, it's really, you know, emphasizing our business model. It's not just, you know, the smart back in 2019. It, it just seems perfectly fitting for this sector. We build mines for sub $30 million, which means if we do experience a 25% capex overrun, you know, it's seven, $7 million bucks. It's not going to see us go to the market and have to do some big cost overrun equity raise. And, and, and as big shareholders ourselves, we're really cognizant about dilution for, our, for all shareholders, not just ourselves. So, so our business model, building out a production profile, you know, of 150, 200,000 ounces a year from a number of these low cop, capex builds, I think insulates us from that very risk that we've seen with a lot of single asset developers that sometimes through no fault of their own have just started a process that can take many years. You enter an envi economic environment like the one we are now, and it creates problems um, and, and funding shortfalls and the like. And, and unfortunately, those funding shortfalls are always 
um, always impact you, the the shareholder. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think our, the biggest aspect of Monero being a contrarian is we're one of the few companies that actually wants to get to the far end of the Lausanne curve and actually build long-term value. Um, that immediately sets us apart. I think within that group of companies, we further set ourselves apart from this very low capital intensity mind building strategy we have and uh, looking forward to delivering on mines two and three. Good man, good man. James, what about you? Look, I think, you know, I've been in a lot of your presentations about, uh, or you spent a lot of time chatting together. And I think, look, um, the advice I have to the investors is really just focus on quality. I mean, the reality is there's so much, there's a lot of product in this market. Um, there's a lot of companies still listed. Um, I think there's a, there's quite a few things in the chat. The chat. Why, is that, why isn't there any M&A going on? People are frustrated that you've got all these companies in this sector. It's really, you know, uh, people, people, it would be a lot better if there was less. Um, but I think, I guess all, all you can really focus on it is just the quality. You've got to look for those projects, you know, that aren't, you know, the, the differential between the MP, a classic one, the differential between the MPV of the projects and the CapEx, if it's one-to-one, -one, get very frightened, ultimately, if, if, if the MPV is only the same as the CapEx. It's little things like this, you know, there's a bunch of metrics that you just think about when you're evaluating developers. You know, is the grade just the same as everything else in the industry? Is it like a gram or is it a low grade thing? I mean, um, because then you can immediately, if it is low grade, the margin is going to be low. So I guess you've got the exceptions where you have look at the process. If it's a nice heat leach and it's a high grade heat leach operation, then it'll have a nice big margin on it. That's fine. But just, it's just refocusing and just calibrating. You know, there's a lot of information in the industry, the company, the the industry pushes out a huge amount of information. Look at the really high-performing mines inside inside some of the big companies, perhaps. Um, just deep dive into a couple of those and see things that really make money. Um, and um, you know, uh, and, and just have a sense of that because, it, you know, whilst it's a broad industry, if you look at it, there's not that many companies that really generate exceptional returns or generate you know really exciting returns to invest in. So as I've always said to people that you know the average gold mine has a ten percent margin after profit. That's that's a bit. That's not that exciting, is it? It's quite a risky sector to be in for a ten percent margin. Try and find the ones that you think are going to have a twenty five percent margin in the bad times. Mm -hmm. You know that are still going to. And when they're in the good times, those guys they'll have like a thirty or forty percent margin, and you'll really reap the rewards. And the market will reward that company. And it won't just attract a gold investor. It'll attract general. It'll attract just investors that see a great opportunity to buy a good business. I think, you know, we can get too sucked into just the gold type. You just focus on whether, you know, hopefully you invest in other sectors and just compare it to other sectors. Is it a good business or not? And, and I guess, you know, what do we focus on on Rupert is trying to define a really good business opportunity and, and develop a really good business. That's what it's about. Um, yeah. Brilliant. And, and, and th thanks for that. Some, some actually quite good points in there. Um, Brian, I'll let you finish off. I guess just from a Mavericks perspective, I think we're really well positioned for any environment. And I think that's really critical, you know, in the sense that we have a great balance sheet. Uh, we've got great cash flow coming in. Obviously, we're not directly impacted by inflation just because we take a percentage of the revenue. So I think that's that's very good. And I think also, I think, you know, from our standpoint, I mean, I guess what I would say to investors is let us do the work 
and put in your investment dollars to work in things that we think is good that we evaluate with our technical team. So I guess with with us, you sort of just you pick us for being well diversified, cash flow generating. We pay a dividend. We've already got organic growth, and we're looking to deploy more money in these times that I think will generate a good return over the long term. So we think now is a great time. Well, look, and gentlemen, I, I better wrap it up there. I know you've got places to be. The people listening in uh, have got places to be. And by the way, for anyone who sent in questions, I apologize if I didn't get around to those. We'll forward those to the guys. They'll respond uh, and we'll, we'll get the, those messages uh, and, and answers back to you. So really appreciate everyone who listened in. Uh, great session, guys. I learned a lot and I hope everyone else did too. Thank Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Thank Ron. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks again.